Hey there, V2X Nation and friends. This is Hope Skibitsky, the Learning and Development Manager at V2X. And you're with us here on Converging on Leadership, the place where we use transparency, vulnerability, and lessons learned to develop ties with our leadership to help us better serve all of our internal and external customers. Hey, podcasters. Can you picture yourself with a challenging, rewarding career as a commercial and defense contractor? Maybe you're already working for V2X and would like to expand your horizons with a new opportunity, or you're interested in getting started with us. V2X is here for you. We have a wide array of job openings, some for those who want to support the United States military warfighters, and for those of you who are interested in the ultra-secure world for one of our country's three-letter agencies. We pride ourselves in developing our employees for future opportunities. Did we mention we have locations and positions all across the globe? If you're interested in a rewarding profession that pays well with competitive benefits, check out our website at gov2x.com slash careers. All right, all right. Welcome back. We're glad to have you. I'm here again with Sue Deagle, our Senior Vice President at V2X, and we're here this time to talk about influencing others. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. We know that things we do on uh, with intention and things that happen accidentally can influence other people's behaviors, and so I'm kind of interested to hear from you. Why do you think it's important to deliberately be an influencer? Yeah, I think uh, the metric power is kind of changing in our current workplace, right? Before it was all about hierarchy. Who's the boss? And that boss gets to tell you what to do. And then you uh, go from there. The way that we operate in our organization is incredibly collaboratively. And collaboration only works through influence, right? If you stay in your own silos, uh, if the business advisory functions, if finance stays in finance and HR stays in HR and the P&L stay in the P&Ls, then you don't have any collaboration. You know exactly what your job is, but you aren't collaborating to make things better. Only across your peer group does influence really make that, take collaboration to its next level. So I am a big believer in soft power, right? I can't tell my peers uh, what to do. I'm not the boss of them. Like uh, the, I have a team and it, sure, I could tell them what to do, but they would they, they know that that's not my, uh, that's not my vibe either. But my peers, like I really look forward to solving problems with them. I really look forward to saying when, when it really matters to me, no, I think this is the way we should go. This is the decision I think we should make. Now, I balance that by not all the time coming in with guns a blazing. No, we're going to do it my mm. way or the highway or I think this is the best way. I very rarely think I have the corner on the market on the best idea. And so if you believe that other people come up with just as good of ideas as you do, and that's my philosophy, then when you collaborate together, you're using your influence and that soft power to assert your opinion but not demand it. So I think, you know, influencing, we hear that word in social media, like who's an influencer? Am I wearing like the best blue blazer today? And, you know, <laughs> are people going to love my glasses or my shoes? You know, that's a different kind of influencer at work influence is it comes from your span of control how much power you actually rightly have in the organization but also what your intent is to make things better sure we know that there's no like competitive feel-good movie on the market that doesn't have some informal leader who's trying to drive change in the background and it could either support the leader or 
or go counter to what the leader's trying to do, right? And so you want to recognize whether you're an influencer or if there's an influencer on your team. What do you do, what could you do when you recognize that there's an influencer in your midst that maybe isn't working toward the same goal or it doesn't appear as though they're working towards the same goal with you. Yeah. And I think, I think we can like give a name to that. And instead of an influencer, you're kind of a manipulator, mm. right? When you don't have the actual power, but you're trying to make an outcome out of something uh, that's in your best interest or that you generally believe is right, but you're not doing it with transparency. That's not influence. That's manipulation. And I think, I think our bodies can figure that out even before our minds can. Like when you feel like, oh, something doesn't feel right about this conversation we're having. What's your true agenda? And I think whenever you not call people out in a rude way about it, but just say, well, I think, I think we should do A. We think, you think we should do B. What is the reason? Like what's behind that? Why do you think that outcome is better? So we're kind of breaking it down. We're not like, oh, this is so great doing some big kumbaya group hug about our way forward. We are really getting down to the nitty gritty. So I think when you get down to the nitty gritty, you can understand why people want to influence or why they want to manipulate. Mm. And then that's all on the table to make the best decisions from there. So I really like, though, that you talk about not just turning a blind eye to something or pretending it's not happening, but instead assertively approaching it. And then what can you do to invite that influencer to be on the same team with you? Um, And so I know that there are times when people don't believe that they have the power to influence other people. Um, And so I am just curious, what kinds of behaviors, experiences might someone work toward in order to have an influencing leadership trait, behavior, style, capability, name it, whatever you want? Yeah. Uh, You know, there's two sides to influencing. There is the sort of the communication side, the sharing side, the, hey, I want it to go this way side. And then there's the listening side. So I'll just start with the listening side, right? When you when you are open to what other people are bringing to the table and you're not thinking about where you are, where you are hierarchically, your age, I know more than you, I'm so much wiser. When you're not thinking of all these sort of things that don't necessarily matter when we're making good choices and we're collaborating together, when you can park those and really be open to listening to people, I'm telling you, you will get far better results. Like I I don't really put people in boxes according to their position, their age, their demographic, anything like that. I put them in boxes about what they bring to the table. So I am open to people influencing. But how do you as the influencer kind of share – share your credibility, share your bona fides with people? And a lot of that starts with plain old performance – so when I've seen people like really knock the ball out of the park performance wise, or someone said, oh my gosh, Hope, she finished this project and it was so amazing. Oh, in the back of my head, I'm like, wow, Hope's a real ringer. She must be really, really good at that. And then when you, when you want to step outside of that project that gave you your reputation and you want to influence others, you're already a step ahead. So table stakes is plain old rock star performance because then people will already look at you in a different way. And your power, your soft power to influence goes from there. I love it because it demonstrates your capability when people see that you're not just telling them to do a thing. You're telling them to do a thing that you've had to work your way through. It gives you the credibility that you could influence them to want 
what you have. Yeah. Um, and then you're willing to share it is, is the next step, right? So that's great. So when we're looking at influencers amidst a thing, often we're talking about optic, right? Like, what is it I see when I look at you? What do you see when you're identifying an influencer in the crowd? Is there a certain air? Oh, I, I never, this is a great question. I never really thought about it that way. I, I don't like to think that a facade equates to influence, right? I, I want to get past my, you know, my own, uh, own biases, my unconscious biases to say, well, if a person looks a certain way, they stand up and look confident, they love to speak in front of a crowd. That's not necessarily the metric. Those people could be fantastic influencers, but just because you don't love to speak in front of a crowd or you're not the loudest person in the room, uh, that doesn't mean you're not a great influencer because honestly, really the quiet types are oftentimes the best. So I really try to talk my brain down from saying, oh, okay, no, that's the person. I I don't wanna use my visuals there. I wanna use what people are bringing to the table project-wise or in small conversations, or the insights or wisdom that they bring. So I want to turn off the optics, and I want to turn up the intuition to really say, okay, in a conversation, oh, man, he really impressed me, and I would love to use him on a project in the future. I would love to get his opinion about something that we're doing. Or I would just like to ask him in general, how do you think the company's doing as a whole? So I think that collecting little data points like that rather than letting the optics kind of drive your who's a good influencer is the right way to go. That's brilliant. I love it. It keeps it gets us out of the mindset of believing there's a single type, um, which is great, right? I think it was Sheryl Sanborn in her book, Lean In, that actually, I'm paraphrasing, she talks about no longer feeling like she needs to spread her elbows out to take the room at the table, but instead she'd talk a little softer so that people had to lean in to oh, listen. And I'm like, you go. I like that. It doesn't always have to be the loudest voice yeah. in the room that's making an impact. Yeah. We shouldn't be looking at, at capabilities at mm-hmm. work as just like, oh, a handful of what the best ones are. And just because I'm comfortable speaking in public after you know 32 years in the workforce doesn't mean somebody coming up in the first decade is comfortable for the, with that. And I wasn't comfortable with that either. Yeah. Right. So I, I, kind of try to think about who I was then, who I am now. And, and uh, I more gravitate towards the strong, silent types um, because I think there's a lot going on underneath there that the rest of us could benefit from if we put a communication structure in place that their ideas can be heard and then they can be influencers. Let's talk about influence a little bit in the fact that sometimes you hear people say, well, this is just who I am or it worked for me. It got me here, right? I think that there might be room to explore changing some of that to help you get maybe the next thing further. How do you influence people that maybe don't know they need it? Do you, yeah, do you think a, there's a sneaky influence yeah, capability? I think that that's a tough one, right? Because people, we tell people, bring your whole self to work. Oh, but wait, maybe you could leave that 20% behind. You have to be the judge of your own efficacy, and you have to be asking questions about it. And you have to be willing to sometimes get a little bit wounded by the feedback that you get in order to course correct. And I remember we were at a women's summit in November and uh, we were all sharing around the table. Hey, what's one thing you want to work on more this year? And, you know, I had a thing to work on. And this woman sitting next to me said, you know, I don't have anything that I need to work on. And I was like, wow, I was so kind of stunned by that. Like there's nothing else that you need to work on. And, and that it's great to have that kind of confidence, 
But for myself personally, there is always something I am working on to be better at and to be a better influencer. When I talk too much, I lose my ability to influence, right? We have to be watching those metrics about ourselves and, 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 uh, and making sure that the authentic self we're bringing to work matches with our work environment that we're in. Because we're not, you know, uh, solo entrepreneurs here at our company. We are not a place that rewards uh, the individual contributor at the expense of everyone else. Everything we do is collaborative. Mm. So I think it, it is a challenge for people who we think, oh, they're so great. If they could only maybe tweak their style a little bit. We as leaders owe them that conversation. Yeah. They as people who want to make an impact to the organization Oh, internalizing that and deciding what they want to do with it. Scary is the person who feels they have nothing left to learn. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I also like that you talked about listening, both the last session and then now. Uh, we always say that there's two ears and one mouth, right? Use them in proportion. So yeah. I think that, that that's it's just a good reminder because yeah. it's sad for us to believe that if something is to be said that, uh, you know, I, I have. I've been there, done it twice, and had more fun doing it than anybody else, right? And so let me just give you everything I've got. Yeah, and yeah. I think sometimes I actually literally, there was a period in time where we were uh, very intensely going through a merger, and it was very high energy, and we were, you know, we were at our maximum stress level, and I realized I was getting really interrupty on the Zoom call, on the Teams call. And so I am a big, like, I do, I manage myself by sticky notes. So I wrote a sticky note. Uh, and I put it up on my wall and I just said, stop talking, right? So mm -hmm. that when I got myself all worked up and wanted to kind of talk over top of people or be dominating the conversation with my idea, I would look at that sticky note on top of my desk and be like, no, I'm just going to absorb. I'm going to absorb what people are saying. And that is so, that is so much more effective. Talk about influence. The person who speaks the least is often the person that we're looking to the most, but we are all, you know, we're all in the heat of the moment. No, my idea, your idea, et cetera. To that Sheryl Sandberg point, the more quiet you are, after you've built that reputation of performance, the more people are curious about what you're going to say next. I think that's a good point because sometimes when we have a lot of thoughts or a lot of experiences, we want to feel like we've got to get them all out, tell the world exactly yeah. what we know. When in reality, people will get tired of hearing you talk. They will, and you'll lose your influence, things that you've, you know, you've crafted a career around, and you don't want to squander that. It can be gone in an instant, and you really do have to be careful about what you're putting out in the world as much as what you're listening to from everybody else. You have to balance those. So when we talk about influencing others, influence isn't necessarily a, a taught skill. It's a thing that is kind of earned based on your performance is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I really believe. And you're right. Like there's not a, like a 101 framework on gaining influence, but I think the 101 frameworks out there for sort of the young people coming into the workforce today. Uh, and we use a couple of these books in, in our training. Uh, Multipliers is, is a really, really good one. Um, that teaches people how to do the intricacies of adding value. Right. And one of my favorite ones in, in, uh, in multipliers and I, Liz Wiseman is the author of that and other books that she's published is making work light. So we talked about in the prior podcast that I, I have a casual style. That is my style. I have to make sure that it's not too casual for some people, but 
what I really love about work is I like making work light. I like making funny little quips with each other. I like making what we do, like break the ice about it so everything is not so tense. And that's what I bring to the table. And and so people know that. Like when I'm when I'm there as part of the meeting, if it's going okay and it's appropriate for that, we're going to be a little bit goofy and a little bit silly when that's appropriate. But then other people bring a tremendous amount of gravitas to the table. You just want to listen to them talk because they know so much, right? And that's a different kind of influencing style. And I think whenever we're just kind of figuring out who we are in the workplace, we look at the models of people around us. Hey, am I more like a Sue? Am I more like a Hope? Am I more like a Chuck, our CEO? And you decide what works for you. You're taking things, trying them out. Oh, if it worked great, you're going to put it in your toolbox and you're going to use it for another time. If it didn't work great, you're going to fail fast. You're going to say that style is not for me. You're going to discard that and it doesn't go in your toolbox. But you're building over your career your toolbox of influence, your toolbox of performance. Now, I think that's really good to where we, especially if you're a mentor or a coach to someone, not saying that you have to do it my way or it's going to be wrong, saying instead, glean a little bit from everybody you come in contact with. Some of those things will be things I want to stay away from because I've watched it fail miserably. Yes. And some of those things I think are going to be awesome. And maybe even if I tweak them, it'll be a little more mine. Yeah, more personal to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I think influence is a big deal. So what would you say is the difference though between influencing and demanding? I think you mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, descriptive versus prescriptive, if I could put words in your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so influence versus demand. Like, so it might make a manager's job or a leader's job easier if they were like, these are the five things you have to achieve and I'll come back here at the end of the week and you will have achieved them. Right? But then that's, uh, it really isn't allowing people to have the creativity to grow in their capability and their subject matter expertise. So I find the demand, like I'm demanding something to be less personally developmental. And one of the things we're trying to do for people at work is we're trying to give them a sense of belonging and a sense of meaning, right? And, and the demand uh, paradigm doesn't facilitate that. When you're influencing people, this is the outcome I want by the end of the week. You're letting people have that meaning. They're creating it themselves and that belonging with their peers to get to end of job. So I, I don't, I'm not a big believer in like a, these are the six steps and you have to follow them. Some jobs are suited to that though. So I, I never want to kind of knock that completely. There are some things when we teach people how to do their job that they have to do the six steps and those are the six steps. But people know when they get into those jobs that that's what they look like. I think for the most part, when you're collaborating and creating together, you want to give people the freedom. And and I always reflect back to a boss I had very early on um, in my mid-20s, and his name was Bob Reeve. And he uh, gave me a proposal to do. You're going to do this proposal, and you're going to submit it. And I was like, well, wait, wait, should I, like, how many people should I put in this proposal? And, what should, and he was like, Sue, take the proposal and create the proposal and then submit it to the government. And I was like, okay. Like, he really... Um, let me be independently figuring it out. And it was like stressful and, you know, as stressful as anything for a 27-year-old can be, I was like, <laughs> oh, what if I screw this up, et cetera. Filled it in, uh, worked with my colleagues to collaborate, submitted it, and we won this piece of work. And afterward, it was so great to hear Bob Reeves say, 
oh, it's that deal Sue Deagle one. Oh. Right? But if he would have let me, if he would have like, no, no, I'll tell you, you need 20 FTEs and a this or this or this, I wouldn't have felt that sense of accomplishment. So he gave me the freedom and independence to succeed or fail. And there's nothing like that feeling uh, of success to say, oh, no, I got this. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. or I felt like I didn't know what I was doing at the beginning, but I did it anyway. And he really planted that seed in me to take chances and to know it's not always going to work out. But when it does, you're like, oh, yeah, I did it. Oh, I love it. It takes me back to my Air Force days where we talked talk about, you know, giving people left and right boundaries and intent and then giving them the freedom and flexibility to maneuver their way there, right? Yeah, like, I love that. Um, I make fun all the time and say, all you have to do is, Sue says, hope I want you in Albuquerque by Sunday. You can't go by plane and you can't go by boat, which means, okay, I know I've got to be in Albuquerque on, by Sunday, but if I take a pogo stick to get there, you don't care as long as I'm there, <laughs> right, right? Right, and why wouldn't I empower you to yeah. make the best decision for you? All those little things build up over time. You know, we're building future leaders. We're, you know, we're not, I'm in my mid-50s now, be here for a while, but I'm not going to be here forever. And don't we want to enrich people's lives by teaching them our leadership lessons? And that's much more done by example than by proscription. That's right. And and I think you mentioned it early on, but I want to make sure we don't leave it, is it doesn't always have to be a leader influencing their subordinate. Yeah. It could be you influencing your peers, and it could also be your subordinate influencing leadership. Yeah, that, this is so true. So you know, at the C-suite in our company, we all collaborate together to work on something, right? So, so people would think to themselves, well, I mean, you're the senior vice president, and you're over the profit and loss part, why are you always engaged with the chief legal officer on things? But we brainstorm together and we come up with better things Mm -hmm. together. So that influence, he knows how I think, I know how he thinks. If he's trying to solve a tough problem, sometimes he'll just bounce it off of me. If I'm trying to solve a tough problem, I'll go to Kevin and say, I've been thinking this through, what do you think about that? And then that gives us the rapport when we both need each other's help to then when it's a company-wide problem that we're solving together, we know, oh, this is going to be great because we're going to solve the problem, you know, in collaboration. So I think influencing there, like when I think about it, I don't really think about a lot of top-down stuff. I think about like, how do I make the company work better? That's what I really consider my job to be. How do I make uh, all of the executives at V2X more successful, which in the end will grow our top and bottom line. And that is a lot of influence. It's not a lot of dictatorial, you'll do this, you'll do this, which I don't know that much about anyway, because I'm a generalist. And so I'm just trying to make people more effective, which will make our company more effective. Well, and I also can't help but tie back a point you made, which I think goes right back to Chuck Pro's original point about DE&I, right? You said putting more heads together, more experiences, that goes back to that diversity, equity, and inclusion piece, the different experiences, backgrounds, growings, all those things are going to bring a different thing to the table and help us be most effective. This is a great point. And and we should think of diversity. Like the way that we think about diversity at our company is, you know, persons of color, women, persons with disabilities. We do an Allies of Pride and we do veterans. Those are sort of the areas that we focus on. But there is so, there is additional other places where diversity comes from. Age diversity, background diversity, geographic diversity. We should constantly be seeking for that in our teams. You know, groupthink is real. And when we are all cookie cutter, like if I had a team of Sue Deagles, first of all, like brace for impact, that would be a terrifying (laughs) thing. But we would all come, you know, we would come up with the same outcome every time. And we really want diverse 
thoughts to be contributing. Like we say about DE&I, you know, you could choose to have a DE&I journey and focus on that in your company for various reasons because it's the right thing to do. That's, uh, you know, first and foremost, it is that. But secondarily, because you want to reflect back to your customers and to your teams the diversity they're reflecting to you. And so that's critically important as well. And then the third is it really does impact business results because of this diverse thinking that we're talking about when you bring people uh, to the table and they have different ways of looking at things, then that's a really great contribution. So I'll never forget John Smith. He, uh, he oversees our programs at Fort Bragg and Fort Benning. Um, he was telling me a story about the vehicle maintenance bay, right? So uh, mostly it was uh, a bunch of males in the vehicle maintenance bay and a female would put her application in and the males would say to themselves, well, if this female joins the crew, maybe we can't talk about the things that we used to talk about all the time and we'll have to kind of watch what we say. You know, it'd have a different dynamic and that is absolutely fair and, and probably correct. But I think John's point to that was, you'll have a different dynamic and it'll be a great dynamic. Mm. We don't have to constantly be repeating the dynamic we have when we open ourselves up to diversity and diversity of thinking. Maybe that female would bring to the table a different way of doing things or just a different sense of humor or a different kind of fun around the donuts sure. and the coffee, right? We, we are afraid of what that might look like when we when we um, insert diversity into what we do. But I think people, I think when they look in their rear view mirror, they think to themselves, well, what was I afraid of? Yeah. Or what were we ever before this? Yes, you almost, exactly. you feel better in the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like it. Okay, so today, I mean, we talked about influencing others up, down, around, um, through active and passive behaviors. Um, is there anything that we should talk about, about influencing others that you'd like us to not leave on the table? Yeah, so... You have to influence responsibly. We covered influence versus manipulation earlier, right? You really have to test your own motives when you're influencing. And I think that's sort of like a gut check, an ethical gut check about who we are. You have a lot of power depending on who you are inside the organization, and you have to use your power wisely. Mm. Uh, I think that's a really critical part of influencing at the office, just making sure that you have the right motives and you're influencing for the right reasons. I think that's a great point. Great point. All right. Well, this was a ton of fun. I'm so glad you joined me and spent so much time here. It's my pleasure. Everybody's going to glean a lot from these podcasts that we're doing. And I love that the leadership is stepping in to tell us all we need it's to know. It's our pleasure. We look forward to these times. With oh, you. I, hope I really good. appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Join us next time as we have on Steve Shapiro, a vice president at V2X, talking about driving change and business acumen. Please subscribe to Converging on Leadership on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash company slash V2X dash Inc. And please let us know what you think of our show and what future topics you'd like us to cover. Converging on Leadership is produced by K Global and brought to you by V2X. V2X transforms operations and sustainment for government and commercial clients worldwide through operational support services, training, and converged environments that integrate physical and digital infrastructures. Learn more at gov2x.com. And until next week, I'm Hope Skibitsky, and thanks for listening.